Good morning, beloved Covenant family. I suppose if you stood up at Sam's invitation, this would be a good time to have a seat. Oh, it is so good to be able to be together with you all again this morning. I miss you. I miss seeing you kids. Hi, it's great to see you. I miss you and love you. Our next gen students, I miss you guys too. And I love you guys as well. It's our joy to be able to welcome all of you who are, are part of our online family this morning, literally from all around the world. What a joy to be able to come together in the presence of God to remember all over again about his greatness and his goodness in this fallen and broken world of ours. So do you remember God's invitation to us during these days? There were three of them. Stay. Do you remember the first one? Stay. That's right. Anchored to God. And the second one was stay Connected to God's people. Yes, that's right. And the last one, stay, yep, boy, you guys are impressive. Stay faithful to God's call to living out a life of love in these challenging days. Here's something that was really interesting for me as I've been studying this week and all of the accounts in scripture that follow right immediately in the days and weeks right after the resurrection I discovered that the early church was engaged in exactly those same three things. They were staying anchored to God. Luke chapter 24, verse 53, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. They were staying connected to God's people. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that they all met together and they were constantly united in prayer. And then they were staying faithful to God's call to live out a life of love. And Acts chapter 4, verse 2 is one example of that. The apostles were teaching the people and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So let's follow the example of the early church and let's continue to say yes to God's invitation to us. To stay anchored to God, the beginning and at the end of every day and throughout the day, to just keep moving your heart out towards him, reaching out to him. To stay connected to God's people I think it's reasonable to think that every one of us might be able to connect with somebody else in our covenant family every day. So who might God put on your heart to just reach out to, to do a text or a FaceTime call or good old-fashioned card in the mail, whatever it is. And then I think God would have us not let a single week go by where we don't kind of lay aside our own self-concern in the middle of these corona days and think about the needs of the neighbors God's put around us and do something that lives out a life of love to them. I uh, received a good old-fashioned card in the mail from someone in the congregation this week. And in that card, it says, it all keeps feeling so surreal, but we focus on remaining anchored, staying connected, and staying faithful, watching for creative ways to reach out. And that part is fun. I love that. That is awesome. Well, with that in mind, uh, let's, let's uh, seek God's guidance now. Lord, we open our hearts to your spirit and to your word. As Mike's prayer reflected, as the opening song expressed also, our thoughts and our feelings are such a jumble during this time. And we pray that you would come and speak to us by your spirit and by your word. Your words of truth and your words of peace. Anchor us anew, Lord, in the truth that you are the risen Jesus in our midst. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. So the last time I went to the grocery store, uh, I was pushing my cart down the aisle, had my shopping list in hand. I came up to the end of an aisle, 
And just at that point, uh, a clerk from the store was coming down the uh, aisle kind of at a right angle to that and arrived right in front of me. I said, ah, excuse me, could you please tell me where I could find tortillas? And it was such a funny moment. She, without saying a word, she just grinned, this huge grin, and she just slowly turned around and looked. And literally closer than this, literally eight feet high and six feet across was the tortilla display. Right there, right within reach. My family accuses me of having refrigerator blindness, of looking in the fridge and not being able to find anything. Uh, I think probably my blindness goes a little bit farther than just refrigerators. I think I may have garage cupboard blindness and probably basement shelf blindness. I seem to have the sort of garden blindness that has me not seeing the weeds and trash can blindness that has me not noticing when they're full. I uh, seem to be afflicted with a lot of different sorts of blindnesses and now obviously grocery store blindness. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a sort of blindness that I think we are all, um, all have a susceptibility to and that you could call empty tomb blindness. So last Sunday we talked about Jesus' invitation to go out into this world and to look for him. You remember the last words that that uh, John Iman read earlier in our service, the risen Jesus, the last words in the Gospel of Matthew, says, look for me. I am with you every single day. So this morning, we're focusing on the challenge of actually seeing Jesus. Sometimes in the midst of all that is going on in this world, it's just hard to see him. So we open up our Bibles and we see him clearly. We hear his voice. We see his face this amazing good news of his coming to us and living among us, revealing God to us, dying in our place, rising from the dead. And then we open up our newspapers. And he seems to just sort of disappear. And so does everything else. Do you know what a newspaper is? These seem to have kind of gone the way of of encyclopedias that you have on your shelf. This is the old-fashioned way of getting news of what's going on today. We open it up and we're barraged with the corona count and, and the market meltdown markers and the scarcity score, the, the pandemic panic. It's what bombards us every single time we open up the newspaper. And in fact, that's how some people pronounce it, newspaper I think these days, that's a pretty apt way of saying it. It just kind of grabs you around the neck. I mean, just this morning in the paper, here is this article on hoarding, and this is how it begins. Just a few weeks ago, as many of us were doing life as usual, it seemed as if the stability of our world was fairly certain. And then coronavirus changed everything. Our comfortable, predictable lives have become downright strange, and all this uncertainty is taking a psychological and an emotional toll on us. To use a non-clinical term, many of us are just plain freaking out. It's true, isn't it? So we pick up the news 
and Jesus just sort of disappears from our view. And within us begins to rise up all of these fears and all of these doubts. So with that very real and immediate challenge in our minds, let me just take you back to where we left off last week in the unfolding story. Remember last week, Easter Sunday, we were exploring what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So think about the experience of the disciples up to that point. Three years of living with Jesus, and then suddenly he's taken from them. They watch him die. They see his body put into the tomb. It's finished. And then on Easter Sunday, Matthew 28, 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. I mean, you can almost hear the music in the background. I was so confused. Jesus saying all this stuff about going to Jerusalem and being turned over to the religious authorities and suffering and dying and, and something about rising again and then watching Jesus die on the cross. But I can see clearly now. So we had you with us for like a medium shortish amount of time and then we lost you for like a really shortish but pretty painful amount of time. But now we have you with us. Now and from now on and forever, this is going to be great. We're never going to be apart from you again, Jesus. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Jesus? Jesus? Where did you go? This week in my studies, I've been focusing on the resurrection chapters in the Gospels. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, and, and the first chapter in the book of Acts. And what you find there is fascinating. Jesus rose, they all saw him, they all believed, and they were filled with peace, and he stayed with them from that time on and forever, right? No. Instead, this is what you actually find. On Easter day... Suddenly, Jesus met them, Matthew 28. That same day, Jesus himself came up and walked along with two of them, and they were kept from recognizing him, Luke chapter 24. On the evening of that first day of the week, Jesus came and he stood among them, John chapter 20, verse 19. And then, listen to these words, a week later, Jesus came and stood among them. I mean, what did they do during those six days? How do they even process that? He's not here. He is risen. His turn into he's risen, but he's not here. Jesus died to change the world, but the world isn't really any different the day after Easter and the day before. But at least we have him right in this, in this fallen world, but then it seems like we don't have him. The 40 days after the resurrection were the days when Jesus was teaching the church what it would mean for them to have him spiritually with them, but not physically. And they were really confusing days. So as a result, the, the days after the death and resurrection of Jesus were an emotional chaos for his followers. But their feelings are all over the place. This is what you see when you look at them. They were afraid yet filled with joy, 
This word fear is related to the word that means to, to run. So they were feeling the kind of fear that made them want to run and hide. Does that sound familiar? And yet they had great joy and delight. We're told they were alarmed, which means they were thrown. Somebody picked them up and threw them into amazement. They were completely astonished. We're told that they were shaking with fear. And also, they were bewildered. This means carried outside of themselves. They were bewildered. They were disturbed. They were shocked. They were startled and frightened. Startled, we would probably say, freaking out. And filled with fear, they were troubled. This means shaken, tossed back and forth, joyful and amazed, filled with wonder and and awe. All of those things going on at the same time. I love the way that the, the, this garbled confusion of feelings and thoughts is captured in Luke chapter 24, verse 41. It says, and, and while they still not, <laughs> I can't even read this, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? I mean, what does that even mean? Here's how the voice translation captures that verse. It says, now their fear gives way to joy, but it seems too good to be true, and they're still unsure. So starting in the first verse of Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, and also Acts chapter 1, we enter into a new era in the history of the early church. It's our era. It's the era, it's the redemptive era that we still live in now as followers of Christ. Jesus is risen and he's among us, but he is invisible. And God's redemptive purposes have been fulfilled on the cross, but God has not yet put all things right. So here we find ourselves in this time of the coronavirus hanging over our heads, and Jesus is alive, but the virus is spreading right along with the good news that Jesus is alive, and all kinds of feelings are swirling around inside of us. So in the barrage of news that has hit us as we read the paper and open up our screens, do you find yourself identifying with the sort of chaos of feelings that the disciples were going through? I mean, maybe you're feeling surprised at how everything has just been thrown upside down and made so uncertain. A lot of us are feeling fear for loved ones, for ourselves, for our own health, for our finances, for the future, maybe even for our lives. Maybe you're feeling anger at how the people who are in charge have been handling all of this. I know some of you are feeling joy and gratitude that's kind of popping up in the midst of that for the unexpected gifts that have been given during this time. And then there's the sadness for the losses that that you and others have been experiencing, the, the things that have been taken away from you as a result of all of this. Maybe boredom at being stuck in your house all day, and then right behind that, maybe disgust at what is rising up in you when you're alone by yourself all day long with too much time on your hands. My new friend, one of my new friends at the grocery store, and I were talking about, she was noticing how uh, people just seem to be kind of on edge and trying to stuff their lives with something. And uh, we were talking about Blaise Pascal's famous line, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's true, and we feel that in ourselves, don't we? I've heard all of those different feelings expressed 
by different ones of you probably even in the last 48 hours. So if you were to describe what you are feeling most right now during these corona days, what would you say? If there are others who are sitting in the room with you, just take a moment and just turn to each other and maybe share uh, something that you find yourself feeling right now about all this. Kids, you may want to draw a picture of what you're feeling with school coming to this kind of screeching, abrupt end and being apart from your friends and, and kind of stuck in the house all day and then, and then this whole coronavirus thing in the air and seeing your parents maybe a little anxious. You might want to just draw a picture of that. So in these final chapters of the Gospels, Jesus actually addresses the swirl of feelings that's going on in the disciples. To the confusion of their feelings and ours, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Wow, that sounds kind of harsh. Not terribly understanding, cold maybe. It seems kind of dismissive of our feelings. It's like he's saying, just don't feel what you're feeling. But that is not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying, because I am here with you, the risen Lord Jesus, you don't need to be afraid. My presence can inform your fear. Look at the context, the verse just before that. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said to them. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. And then he tells them why. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. He's not saying don't feel what you're feeling. Jesus knows that we don't choose what we feel. We just feel it. And he knows that we can't just will our feelings away. All we can do is choose what to do with our feelings. And that's where the words of Jesus come in. Jesus is saying, bring my loving presence into your fear. Feel your fear with me with you. Let me be the answer to your fear. Let me speak to your fear. Not don't feel what you're feeling, but invite me into it. Here's the other part of Jesus's response to their chaos of feelings and ours. John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Same thing. Jesus isn't saying, hey, just relax, would you? How helpful that is. Look at the context. Beginning verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It was his presence that spoke to their fear and their anxiousness. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that the circumstances around us will try to define our well-being from the outside. They'll crowd in and block our view, but his presence within us by his spirit is what should define our well-being from the inside. You don't have to rely on your own resources to deal, deal with life's challenges, not even one as huge as this one. And you don't have to be controlled by your feelings. I put my spirit into you, and he will bring you into my peace as often as you feel anxious or sad or despair and 
turn to him. We may need to do this 50 times a day. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead doesn't make our feelings disappear. And for some of us, we're just going to keep going into anxiousness and fear and sadness again and again, and Jesus says, let me come with you. So he answers our fears and all these other things we're feeling with the assurance of his presence and the promise of his peace formed in us by his spirit. So before we go any further, I just want to have us take a moment of quiet before the Lord. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and who are weighed down. Tell the Lord what you're feeling just right now. Maybe several contradictory feelings that you're feeling. You don't need to hide it from him. He is the God of compassion and grace. As one who's been a human being himself, he understands our frailties and our shortcomings as human beings, and he is moved by compassion when he encounters those. I just invite Jesus into what you're feeling. Hear him whisper to you of his love for you, his reassurance that he is with you, even in this. There's no shame or condemnation in his voice, only invitation. Hear his invitation to trust him and to let his presence, by his spirit, speak to your fear. Let him quiet you with his love. And do that again and again as often as you need to. He will never tire of meeting you. So now let's look, we talked about the confusion of their feelings. Let's look at at the confusion of their thoughts during these same days, the day of and the days right after the resurrection. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted or hesitated. Worship means to actually throw yourself down before God and surrender your will up to him. It's a complete yes to God in every respect. But then at the same time, it says some of them were doubting or hesitant. It meant that they were of a divided opinion within themselves. They, had, they wavered, they, they vacillated. He talks about their, the scriptures talk about their, their lack of faith, their stubborn refusal to believe. It, it literally just means not faith. This refers to everything from, from hesitation to doubt to disbelief to unbelief. And it also talks about their hardness of heart, suggesting kind of a, a, a willful unwillingness to surrender, to, to say a deep yes to God. It says doubts rose up in their mind. This means kind of a back and forth debate in your head, reasoning that is self-based and therefore is confused. And then these descriptions of believing and doubting. So Jesus has risen from the dead before their eyes and they are all over the place across a whole spectrum from belief to doubt. You may find yourself in exactly the same place during this coronavirus time. What sort of faith thoughts have you found yourself having? Have you found yourself torn between what your eyes are telling you and what life, that that life is random, that things are out of control, that God is absent, and what your faith is telling you, that God is near and he's good and he's to be trusted? Are you questioning God's power? 
wondering why he hasn't stopped the virus or whether he can really make any difference in something so huge? Do you find yourself questioning God's goodness, wondering what his purposes could possibly be in allowing this? Do you feel a, maybe a hardness of heart forming in you? Maybe a reluctance or an unwillingness to surrender to God and to trust him if this is the sort of thing he allows? Or maybe you find yourself shaken by these experiences and, and reconsidering the foundation of your life. What have you put the weight of your life on? And maybe thinking about what happens when you die and wondering if there isn't something more that you need to anchor your life to. So how do we see the risen Jesus in the middle of all of this? Where do we rest the gaze of our soul? On God or on this that, that is all bombarding us? So the, to, to the confusion of the disciples and our confusion as well, Here's what Jesus says, Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Well, at first glance, that seems even more curt and inconsiderate and dismissive than don't be afraid. It sounds like Jesus is calling the disciples fools for registering any sort of hesitation or doubt or disbelief. But, but understanding the choice of words here and looking at the context, I think will help us to see this in a really different way. Jesus is not calling them fools. I mean, he couldn't have been clearer in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, that it's never appropriate for us to call someone a fool. As a Jewish rabbi, Jesus is carrying out his ministry within this a context of a, of a thousand-year-long conversation that started all the way back with Solomon and the book of Proverbs that's called the wisdom tradition. In the wisdom tradition, wisdom and folly are not at all the same thing as insightfulness and stupidity. It's talking about something completely different. Wisdom refers to a way of looking at the world that includes God in the picture and puts him in his rightful place on the throne. And foolishness describes a way of seeing that leaves God out of the picture. So Jesus is trying to get them to think. He's asking them why, after spending three years under the shaping influence of his presence and his teaching, why they are allowing themselves to waffle back and forth between these two different ways of looking at the world. One that includes God and one that excludes God, that leaves him out of the picture and lets the rest of the world define what's true. So now listen to the context. Luke chapter 24, 25 to 27, he answers their doubts and their hesitations by bringing them back to the source of truth, the scriptures, and the view of human history that includes God and his unfolding redemptive purposes. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. His second response to their hesitation and their doubt is found a few verses later in Luke chapter 24, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise up in your minds? Literally, why are your feelings so back and forth? And why is your faith, why are your thoughts so back and forth? He doesn't chide them or scold them for having doubts. Jesus knows that faith and doubt will always reside side by side because faith means trusting something 
that we can't fully see or prove. Because of that, there will always be an element of doubt that, that lives right alongside of our faith. We can all say with the father of the, the possessed boy, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So instead of scolding them for their doubt, he seeks to strengthen them in their faith. He asks them to dig around at the root of their hesitation and their doubt and to see if they can figure out what lies down there at the root of that. And then he offers them the evidence that they need to address and to quiet the doubts that are rising up in them. As it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. All of these 40 days were about reassuring the disciples in their faith. Listen to how patiently Jesus walks the disciples through the evidence that puts their doubts to rest and, and puts their belief on a firm footing. First proving that he really has been raised back to life from the dead and then walking them through how every part of his life and ministry fulfills the promise of scripture. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 35, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I do. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, would he have something here to eat? Let me just show you. I really am a living human being. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written centuries ago about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. And then he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus answers, as we saw, he answers our fears with the assurance of his presence and the promise of his peace given by his spirit. And he answers our doubts by strengthening our faith with the promises of scripture that predicted his life and his ministry and his death in such amazing ways and the physical proof of his death and his resurrection. So just as we are invited to bring Jesus into our fears so we are invited to bring Jesus into our doubts and to let him strengthen our faith. So just take a moment and pause. Are there places where in, in the middle of all of this virus stuff, you find yourself calling God into question? Where are you wavering in your confidence about God's goodness or his power or his being in charge? If you're with others right now, you might just name a place of hesitation or doubt that you feel creeping into your faith. So just take a moment to acknowledge that to the Lord now. So let Jesus take you by the hand and lead you out of philosophical conjecture or speculation about the purposes of God or the problem of evil and trying to solve that. Let him take you as he desires to take every single one of us deeper into the two things that are the foundation of our Christian confidence two specific places where God has broken into human history definitively and spoken to us.
First, he gave us the scriptures, his word, the truth, which reveals the nature and character of God and unfolds his redemptive purposes for us. And then he gave us Jesus, the word made flesh, the way, the truth, and the life in whom the scriptures are fulfilled and in whom this world comes face to face with God. As often as your doubts surface, bring them to him. And let him quiet your restless speculations and doubts. And let him strengthen your faith by bringing you back into the word and bringing you back to himself, the living word, who is the main subject of the word. Think of what the newspaper would have looked like for the disciples in the days immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. Roman oppression, exorbitant tax rates, drought, bread shortages, political infighting in the capital, some things never change, mass crucifixions of Jewish resistance fighters, severe earthquakes. The early church could have focused on the news or they could have focused on the good news. And they chose the second. As feelings swam around in them, fear and anger and sadness, they brought the risen Lord into those and invited his peace. And as doubts rose up, they went back to the evidence and they remembered again why they came to believe in the first place. And in those ways, they were given eyes to see, just as we are, the risen Lord Jesus everywhere they looked. God wants us to look out onto the world with different eyes, through eyes of faith, through the lens not of the news, but of the good news. Let me see if I can figure out how I was going to do this. I don't think I'm going to be able to get this. Oh, it goes this way. I was going to try to fold this whole thing during the end of my sermon, and I thought, there's no way that's happening. This is supposed to be a boat. Here we go. Sort of. As we look out into the world through the eyes of faith, then we will remember not only that we are in the same boat with everybody else in the world around us, but we'll also remember that the risen Lord Jesus is in the boat with us. And he speaks to the storm around us and he says, peace, be still. And then he turns to us and he speaks the same words to us. My peace I give to you. As he says in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Our risen Lord Jesus, you remain as worthy of our worship the day before, the day after this, this coronavirus broke out as the day before. Let us anchor ourselves to your goodness and greatness. Let us take you by the hand and be led, Jesus, by you into your presence and into your peace. 
We pray in the name of Jesus, our risen King. Amen.